This is Justice Hayes, and welcome once again to Tales with Some Height. This is May the 7th, 2016, episode number three, and I am going to take you way back, way back to when I was 18 years old, and I've been to Europe a number of times. This was my first time as a, quote, grown-up, unquote, if you can consider an 18-year-old to be a grown-up. I went with two friends of mine, and um, we got all the way, we, you know, we went through England, and Amsterdam, and France, and Paris, and uh, Spain, we went to Barcelona, and blah, 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 and finally we got to Greece, and Everything was fine. I was getting a little bit behind on my my uh, my budget for sure, and then um, I went and uh, rented a, a, a moped and and just totally blew it out on a corner, damaged it pretty severely. Which of course, because of the contract that I signed when I rented the moped, I had to pay for. So now my budget was seriously in arrears. So, um, I talked to my buddies, Ward and Robbie, and they wanted to go on to other Greek islands. And I'm like, well, uh, I could probably get a job here. And I was staying, we were all staying at this uh, place called the Pink Palace, <clears throat> which, despite the name, was not at all homosexual, but certainly was English speaking and uh, catered to, you know, to young English speaking. Uh, tourists. Anyway, uh, so I'm like, oh, I could probably get a job at this place and work off some of my debt. And they're like, okay, fine. Well, you know, we all have a, a return flight at the same time because we all booked returns, con- you know, consecutively, contiguously, mm, whatever, at the same time. So if nothing else works out, at least we will uh, see each other at Heathrow when we fly back to Canada. So they leave and do their own thing, and I stay at the Pink Palace, and I get a job cleaning out the disco in the morning. Oh, God, it was a terrible job, because the thing about the Pink Palace is it was in Corfu, which is often one of the the first places that you encounter when you're going from Italy to Greece. And, of course, um, there's this whole... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's this mythos, this um, understanding that when you go to Greece, you drink a lot of ouzo, and then you break plates. You smash plates, that's... That's the dealio, and so people are looking forward to that. But the problem is that Uzo is um, one of those liquors that uh, sort of sits in the weeds for a while, and you think you're doing fine, and then all of a sudden it jumps out and kicks you in the head. Kind of like tequila is the same thing, same kind of thing, like, oh, look at all this tequila I'm drinking. Man, I'm doing so well. I am totally in control. I didn't think I could drink this much. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's one of those. Uzo is definitely one of those. So, 
inevitably, um, when we had our plate smashing ceremony up in the uh, up in the disco after dinner, because dinner was included, so everyone had dinner, and then we all had this big plate smashing ceremony, and everyone drank a lot of ouzo, and uh, inevitably people would get sick. It just happened, and my job in the morning was to clean up the vomit. So I did that for a while. And it actually wasn't that bad. It was me and another guy and um, uh, this guy, Laszlo, I think his name was Laszlo, and he had these two young, beautiful daughters. They were like five and six, maybe. Um, the most angelic creatures uh, maybe I've I've ever seen in my life. They were just amazing, and they um, <clears throat> they hung around and and talked to us and teased us and whatnot while we were cleaning up. And Laszlo uh, cooked us eggs, and I remember he would do this crazy, um, which I'd never ever seen before, like uh, get a a pan of oil like olive oil, just spitting hot, totally like a thick pan of oil, olive oil, thick, deep, and then boom, he dropped the eggs in, and they just cooked instantly, and then he'd pull them out, and uh, and that's how we had our, our eggs, eggs with toast in the morning. So that went on for a while, and, um, and that was fine. I mean, you know, I was cleaning up vomit, but uh, I was staying for free and working off slowly my my debt because of the the crashed moped. But then one night um, after the disco, uh, there was this one gal from Minnesota. I think I'm not one hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure she was from Minnesota. And you know we were getting along okay and talking and flirting and whatnot. And the way the Pink Palace worked out, there were a number of buildings, and uh, most of them were sort of up on the hillside, but there were a couple of buildings down on the beach, and they were uh, female-only buildings, just for the gals. And they were relatively small. So we went down there, and uh, I remember we were sitting on the, you know, like sitting on the on the patio, the front porch of the bu- or the building where she was staying. And, you know, making out and kissing and whatnot. Things are progressing nicely. I was pretty happy about it. I'm like, oh, maybe something's going to happen. Maybe. That would be good because I was pretty clunky in that department. I really was not one of those guys who got a lot of action. So, you know, I was like, well, maybe I could get some action this evening. That would be nice. That would be good. I'm working on it kissing, little, you know, little boob rubbing and whatnot. So we're sitting on the, uh, on the, the front porch of, you know, their, the building where she's sleeping with all the other cows. And all of a sudden, uh, a woman, young woman, uh, comes out of the building behind us and says, there's a guy in the building and he's freaking out the girls who are sleeping and he's bleeding and we don't know what to do. So, 
what do you do at that point? I mean, you know, one moment you're making out with a girl from Minnesota, and the next minute you find out there's a bleeding... What? I mean, bleeding sexual predator in the building behind you, and what are you going to do? You're the only man down there. It's all women in this building. There's nobody else. It's just you. So what did I do? So I had to rise to the challenge. I had no choice. So of course I I get up and I and I walk into the into the building and it's it's a very small building basically it's like a um, a central hallway that's maybe twenty feet long not very long with you know bathroom at the far end and then you know room on this side room on that side room on this side room on that side two rooms per side type thing. And as soon as I walk in through the front door, lights are on, and I see that there is a bloody smear going down the length of this short hallway. Which, when you see that, is never it's never a good thing to see. It's never a good sign, really. Bloody smear. Hip height going down the hallway. So, um... I'm pretty unhappy about that, but I proceed, of course, and um, I go to the end of the hallway, and I look at the bathroom, and I can see where he got in. Basically, he got in through the bathroom window, and he broke some glass on the way in, and that's how he cut himself, and there's blood, you know, spattered under the bathroom window, so it's pretty clear that's what happened. So then I... I turn around and I'm looking at the, you know, the frightened girls behind me who are like, because I'm the man trying to save the day. And they're standing there and they're like pointing in that room, in that room. Okay, so now I'm going in that room. Fine. So I go in that room and there's like um, three bunk beds, I guess. Um... They're all occupied by uh, young ladies who are awake and terrified out of their fucking minds because there is a man. Um, I didn't really get a very good look at him. The lighting conditions were not ideal. But uh, essentially he was naked except for a red Speedo. That's all he was wearing. He had dark hair, kind of curly could tell that and looked a little swarthy a little Mediterranean I could tell that but that's about all I could tell so I say to him uh, hey what are you doing man and he looks at me because he's like you know checking out the girls and they're all terrified he looks at me and he says uh it's no problem like mm, no, there is a problem. You are, you're scaring the girls. He goes, oh, no, no scaring, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yes, you are scaring the girls. No, 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 no. I'm like, okay, let's let's go outside, outside, let's go outside. He kind of looks at me, and I'm like, you know, gesturing. Let's go outside. Come on, let's go outside. So I go. He follows, amazingly. 
So I get them outside, and um, this is something I will always remember. There was a um, a clothesline behind this 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 house, this building, whatever you want to call it. And on the clothesline was a large Garfield towel. Uh, one of the gals had a Garfield towel, and she was drying it out on the clothesline. But I will always remember him standing there in his red Speedo next to the Garfield towel and me talking to him. So why are you here? And we had this conversation. I'm not going to... I'm not going to break it down into its constituents because, um, well, I would do uh, murderous work to Morocco. He claimed he was from Morocco. And uh, I don't want to butcher the Moroccan accent. I'd, you know, And it's been so long, I can't even remember exactly how he spoke. But basically what it came down to is that he told me that he swam there from Morocco. So... He's telling me, <laughs> he's telling me he swam from Morocco to Greece. Okay, fine, right? Yeah, okay, sure. Swam from Morocco to Greece. So, yeah, I mean, that's what, I don't know, 250, 200 miles? I don't know. what. How wide is the Mediterranean Sea? I have no idea. Um, so, like, okay, fine, yeah, you swam from Morocco. And, um, and why are you in this, uh, building, uh, bothering the girls? Well, it turns out that, um, where he comes from, if a woman puts her underwear on her windowsill, then that means she's looking for a man. So, these girls were, <laughs> had their bathing suits, <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, and yes, their bathing suits were indeed on their windowsills because they were drying them out. They went swimming that day, and they were drying them out. Not all of them went on to the clothesline. You know, some of them just sort of hung them out on the, on the windowsill to dry them out. But according to this guy, um, when a woman does that where he came from, that's like an open invitation to uh, to come in and uh, and have uh, have a good time. So, uh, so we talked about that and I convinced him that that was not the case. It might be the case where he came from, but it wasn't the case here. And these girls were not giving him an open door policy to just, you know, come in and have a good time. So, uh, eventually I talked him into leaving, which was a good thing. So he took off. And then um, I got back to Minnesota girl who, and this is, it's just so cruel and so unfair. So I'm the hero at this point. I really am. I confront the weird Moroccan Speedo wearing dude with the cut on his hand who's bleeding on the hallway and I talk him down from freaking out the girls and get him to leave and you know and I'm like woohoo I'm the hero so I'm like yay now I'm gonna get some action but at that point Minnesota was just like wow that was really crazy I'm going to bed (laughs) 
like, really? Seriously? Yeah, yeah, thanks very much, that was awesome, but I'm totally going to bed. I'm like, okay, fine, see ya, good night. So she goes to bed, everyone goes to bed. I, uh, uh, My room was back up the hill in a, a separate building. So I went up there and uh, and went to bed. Uh, and then the next day, I told the owner of the of the uh, the hospital, well, hostel hotel. I mean, it's kind of a kind of a cross between the two. His name was George, and he was a Greek guy, George. And he was actually kind of pissed off that I did like didn't immediately charge up the slope and like wake up the relevant person at the time. But I was like, hey, it was the middle of the night, and, you know, whatnot. So we actually went, uh, he took me in his car, and we went uh, to downtown Corfu and talked to the cops, and I made a statement to the cops, uh, did the whole thing. And then after that, he's like, so you are you work for us, right? And I'm like, yeah, I clean up vomit for the, in the disco in the morning. He says, okay, well, I'll get you a better job than that. So after that, my job was the cushiest job in the entire place because they had this rooftop patio and people uh, could sleep up on the rooftop patio. Uh, I mean, there were rooms and whatnot, but the rooftop patio, like, you know, when the weather was good, it was, oh, so sweet. There were no mosquitoes. It was cool. had a breeze. It was just awesome. Absolutely awesome. So my job at that point, I got switched off, vomit patrol, and uh, and put onto a rooftop patio. And all I had to do was make sure that everybody up there was a paying customer and sweep the sand off um, off the floor. And that was it. <laughs> That's the fucking most awesome job ever. Are you a paying customer? Yes. Okay, I'm going to grab a broom, do some sweeping. So, um, yeah, so that's what I did for the rest of the time I was there. And that's the story of the Pink Palace on Corfu in Greece when I was 18 back in 1986, I'm going to guess, 1986. Um... 48 right now. Oh, don't ask me to do math. I'm not going to do math. Anyway, there you go. Um, That's the story. And for the 10 people who I've told about this podcast, I say good night, good life, good dreams, good times. Ciao.